second letter to the church, the fifth chapter, the 13th to the 17th verse. If we are out of our mind, as some say, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For Christ, love compels us, because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore, therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. This is the word of the Lord. I know we all uh, can just echo the words of the song um, in, term, in terms of just being grateful, just you know, thank you is, uh, it's, you know, it's just two words, um, but it contains so much just to be thankful, thankful. We teach our kids, or at least we should teach our kids if we don't, to say thank you. If someone does something kind for you, kind to you, say thank you. You know, sometimes it's just out of rote behavior, but hopefully there's something at some point in our life it kicks in, and uh, the thankfulness, it doesn't just become uh, words. You know, we, we, that's what we do. We teach little ones. Just say, say thank you. Thank you. There's no, depth of, there's no depth of real appreciation with that. But over the arc of time, as we develop spiritually, as we age chronologically, then we, we become better aware. What does that mean? So, You just think back on your life and the twists and turns that, I know we've all made mistakes. If you're alive, you made a mistake. You made, made a mistake five minutes ago, sometime today. But if you think back over your life and the things that, that have happened and the things that could have happened but didn't happen, the things that, that God held back from us, you, you gotta be thankful. He just, uh, he's, uh, a two-year-old, spiritually, if you will, would be appreciative. So here we are now at the dawn of a new year, the first day and the first Sunday of the new year. And uh, on Facebook, boy, oh boy, if, uh, if there weren't, uh, <laughs> if one thing I could summarize about Facebook about 2016 is it couldn't end fast enough. It just couldn't end fast enough. Uh, there were things that were just extremely negative uh, in the eyes of uh, those that were, you know, trolling on Facebook. Uh, some positive. Um, but if we were to look back over 2016, I doubt very seriously that uh, any one of us could imagine the things that have happened in our lives over the course of this year. Just think back. January 1st, 2016, where you were at, who you were with, things you were doing, things that you deemed important. Uh, now we're in January 1st, 2017. <laughs> I'm just thinking about in gyms all across the country now, all across the country, uh, I've already seen it uh, in, on Facebook, all across the country, deals, 
deals. Come on in. It's a new year. It'll be a new you, you know. Come on in. Shed those unwanted pounds, Maurice. You know, just, just, just come on in. Uh, things will be different. Things will be different, right? Things will be different. Things will be different. But your experience, my experience knows, we know that uh, despite our best intentions, uh, many of our resolutions won't see the end of next year. As a matter of fact, I actually looked up, I said, I wonder what the statistics are on, on folks keeping resolutions. Uh, the best statistic, source of statistics, it was from Forbes, take it for what it's worth, only, let's put it this way, 50% of whatever you promise, not you, you're better than I am, but 50% of what you will promise to do this year, you will cease doing before the month is over. Half of the things that you say, I'm going to do this year, half of them you won't do by the end of this month, before the end of this month. Two-thirds of the things that you say you, you plan to do, two-thirds, two-thirds, two-thirds of the things you say, I'm going to do this year, uh, you will have broken that by the end of three months. The, the, the shelf life, the half-life of promises are, are just that. Uh, so what's your point? Well, glad you kind of asked. Simply wanting or talking about change doesn't bring about change. Simply wanting or talking about change doesn't bring about change. As I've shared before, on the contrary, it can either, one, fool us into believing that since we talked about it, we actually did something, since I made the resolution, somewhere along the line, I guess I did it. Yeah, I am better than last year. No, actually, you're not. Stop fooling yourself in that way. You know, the, the scale says otherwise. Oh, yeah, yeah, no, I really intended to lose those. Boy, that was, some, that was at the top of my list, and the scale keeps going up. That's one, fooling yourself into believing that we talked about it, so we actually did something about it. Uh, and the other thing is, the, 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 the other side of that coin is, because making these, these promises, these goals, these objectives, these resolutions seem to be so hard to keep, then I just won't do anything and I'm just going to be content in the situation I'm in. Since I can't change, since change seems totally uh, beyond my grasp, I'll just remain in the condition I'm in. Happy New Year to you. You know, that's, that, that, that's where we're at. I'll make promises I can't keep, I'll, and I'll, I might convince myself that I've done something about it, but in actuality, I haven't. Uh, but then I'll just get so depressed that I'll stop even setting goals. So what does that have to do with 2 Corinthians 5? It's got everything to do with it. Paul wrote extensively to a group of believers in the Greek city of Corinth. It was a, we've talked about this before, an area that was filled with the best of what society and philosophy could offer. The best that society and philosophy could offer. It was the best. I mean, it was man's best. It, you got Roman government and you had Greek thought in the city of Corinth. You had it there. There was the, it, it, you know, it's, it's a commercial in tones. It doesn't get any better than this. It doesn't get any better than this. Uh, so we look at the the, the fifth chapter, and, and, and Paul writes in the 13th verse, if we are out of our mind, as some say, it is for God. 
If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. I recommend, this is for your homework tonight, you make little notes in your, in your bulletins, I recommend that you read the first five chapters of this letter. I, I really strongly recommend you read the first five chapters of this letter. Why? Because it's filled with real human issues. It's filled with stuff that is applicable to where you're living right now, today. Uh, Paul starts out writing that he, he, he had to change his plans. He had planned to visit them, uh, but he had to change from what he wanted to do. Why? Because the Spirit of God was leading him to do something different. And he goes on to write that with this relationship uh, we had, uh, with God, the, the relationship pre or reorganizes all the things in my life. The relationship with, that I have with God reorganizes the things in my life. And this relation takes, uh, takes shape in things like forgiveness of others, a new life perspective, what he calls, he goes on to call ministry, a word that we run from because we think, oh, ministry, capital M, that's for guys with collars or sit behind a pulpit or, or speak at 11 o'clock on Sunday morning. Uh, ministry is ministry. It's not what we think it is. Like a lot of things, we have a tendency to, uh, to redefine it into something that it's in our image. But it was the relationship that determined the behavior. The relationship that Paul had with God determined how he behaved. And he called that behavior ministry. He didn't call it life. You know, I just got to do me. You know, I got to be me. I got to do me. I got to do my life. And, and if I could squeeze in ministry somewhere along the line, then I could do that. Paul is saying, no, the life that I have, the air that I breathe, the movement that I have, everything, the whole purpose of me being on life is for ministry. And he wasn't talking about, well, he's the apostle, well, you guess it should be. The... No, he's talking to the church at Corinth who had the best of everything, had the best organization, had the best thinking. It, the, the, it, life didn't get any better than what they had. See, it was a relationship that determined the behavior, not the other way around. Well, you know, as we, as we like, to, like to say, you know, which means we'll never do anything about it. You've heard it before. You may have even said it at some point in your life. Well, I'll come closer to Christ when I take care of a few things in my life. I need to get a few things straight. And when I get these things straight, then I can do ministry. That means you will not do anything. That's what that means, because you will never get it straight. You're incapable of getting it straight. Well, you know, I need to clear up a few things. Oh, okay. All right. That's much, of, that's, that's much of the reason things like marriage and workplace behavior and the such is such a struggle. See, well, I'm not going to enter into, uh, you know, when I get married. Dr. Tavis said something really, really on point. Don't be in a rush to get married. See, because what we do is when we get married, we think that somehow, somehow that, that, that uh, I'll change my behavior once I entered into that marriage covenant. And I might have been acting anything but appropriate as a single person, but now all of a sudden I'm gonna, the light's going to flip and it's going gonna, it's gonna to be all peaches and cream and it's going to be nice. You need to be in a marriage workshop before you get married. 
That's when you need to be in a marriage workshop. Well, when I get married, then I'll go into a marriage workshop. Too late. Too late. Because then you take your brokenness and marry it to some other brokenness, and you create, well, two broken pieces make a whole, right? No, it makes chaos is what it makes. That's what it, that's what it makes. The things that we, see, 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 we, 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 we look at titles and we try and match our behavior to the title. No, no, the, the time for, for the right behavior is when you look at life, particularly when you're 58 going on almost 59 years of age, you look back and it's like, wow, that went by quick. That's went by, wow, where did that go? And that means you got this much time left. So if you can't get it right now, when are you gonna get it right? There's one, one preacher said, when is your born again? gonna kick in. Um, that's why things are such a struggle, because we're, we're focusing on title and not the behavior. And so at the end of chapter, again, read, please, read the first five chapters of 2 Corinthians. And at the end of the third chapter, he writes that we are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory. As we as believers, as we draw close to him, we are being turned into something that we can't even recognize ourselves. You know, you'll look back over the arc of the year and it's like, man, I did, you know, I didn't, I, that wasn't an objective at the beginning of the year to be nicer. But folks keep telling me, you're really nice. What's, I, I don't know, I'm not trying to be nice, I'm not trying to be mean, but something's being evidenced in my life. And I don't know, where, and I didn't even make one resolution about that. So we're being transformed. And in the fourth and fifth chapter, Paul reminds the Corinthians that we are in a body that is physically and spiritually weak. I know, I know what you say. Well, this is all good theory and all, but I'm me, and I, you know, I get mad if somebody hits me on the, uh, you, know, uh, you know, pumps, hits my hammer, uh, hits my hand with a hammer, I'm gonna yell out. Well, I might do that too. Paul recognizes that that we are physically and spiritually weak. See, up to this point, that's the crux. The point of Paul's argument as he writes in the seventh verse of this fifth chapter, for we live by faith, not by sight. We live by faith, not by sight. We live by our faith in a relationship with God, not by the things that we do. The things that we do will, will be an offshoot, will be an outgrowth of the relationship that we have, not the other way around. So no matter the state of uh, Paul's mind or disposition, as he says, uh, uh, for some say it's for God, uh, uh, I'm, I'm out of my mind. As some say, it's for God. If I'm in my right mind, it's for you. It, the fact of what Paul is saying is he does nothing for himself and all is done for God and the Corinthians. He disowns any self-interest in his life. He said, my life, my life is to please him. Yes, I might be married, and I'll please my wife as I please him. I know I've got a job, and I work at my job to make money so I can pay my utility bills and I can pay my mortgage. But if I work at my job in a way that I, I, my intention is to please him, then the rest will take care of itself. But if I work the other way, then my priorities will get messed up. 
then I will start to pursue. Man, you know, I need to work a few extra hours overtime. And, and, and then, then, then things start to pull me away relationally from God in the pursuit of the things that God has already promised us. He's already said, why are you worried about those things? Where are you going to eat? What are you going to eat? Where are you going to sleep? Why are you worried about those things? I take care of the birds. I take care of things. I, you know, you're more important than a bird. That's what Jesus said. You're more important than a bird. I've got that. What I want you to do is focus your relationship on me. I told you before about, uh, the, the, you know, my, <laughs> how I messed up. Well, in a good way, I guess. But at some point, after giving Sister Meeks a whole bunch of flowers, she's like, you know, you can you time out on the flowers. I'm not a flower girl. That's not what I want. If you want to be in good relationship with me, you know, be nice, do, do, be in relationship with me. But if you really want to give me a gift, this is what I like, and it starts with food. So that's, 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 that's knowing the person that you're in relationship with. So how much more with God? Uh, so Paul disowns any self-interest as a motive for any of his actions. And so whether things can be judged as rational or irrational, as he puts it, it's all for God's glory and the benefit of others. And the word he uses, he talks, he said, Christ's love compels us. And if you pull that apart, the word really means to, to like hold, keep together, encircle, hem in, box you in. It's like, it's like uh, having a bill stare at you and you know you ain't got enough money and the due date is, is yesterday. That, that's what Paul, that's literally what Paul is saying. I am boxed in. With, Christ's love boxes me in to behave in a way that I can't even help myself. It's not about me making resolutions. It's about me being in relationship with him. Christ's love expressed in his death holds him fast as the controlling factor in his life. A, a type of, as I, as I write here, a uh, type of theological shorthand. Um, it's not the mere fact of Christ's death, but a conviction about that it leaves Paul no other choice but to do ministry. I can't do anything else. Even if I wanted to do something else, nothing else satisfies, nothing fulfills the void in my life unless and until I am in ministry, and I mean that in every sense of the word, ministry for and with Christ. But what does this mean? Um, well, in the first instance, it means that our life is not our own. I've said that. We've been bought with a price of Christ's death, and we are called to serve not ourselves, but Christ. So what's your point? Again, I keep arguing this and, 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 and trying to persuade you that the idea of freedom is just an illusion. Oh, I just want to be free to do whatever. Whatever you choose to do, you will be a slave to something. Be it your job, be it your kids, be it your house, be it whatever. You will, you will serve somebody and you will serve something. It's just a matter of who or what. Just, just, just who or what. It, it, you will serve somebody. Uh, that, that, uh, that old poet, I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. Yeah, right, whatever. Uh, nothing could be further from the truth. Nothing could be further from the truth. And so Paul goes on to write in the 16th verse, so from now on, so from now on, 
We regard no one from a worldly point of view, though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. Paul, uh, he has a complete reset on how he views things, how he viewed life. Total reset, you've seen that when your, 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 your computer locks up and you can't, you can't, you know, keys don't work, screen's kind of frozen, or if you've got an apple, you got that little uh, beach ball that spins around and it's like, okay, okay, you gotta hit control, I'll delete uh, to get this thing. That's what Paul had to come to. I need to do a reset on everything that I, see, see, again, we, we think that, well, see, see, Paul was uh, some, some non-believer. He was a monotheist. He was a Jew. He was a believer. And he was after these folks that call themselves Christ followers. It's like, you guys are messing up this, this relationship that we have with God. And so it wasn't like he was, he was some, some atheist that, that, that all of a sudden uh, uh, had, had, had a, an epiphany and started believing in, the, in, in God. Now he believed in God. It was just Jesus he had uh, a problem. And with Jesus comes the relationship. So along the Damascus Road, somewhere along the Damascus Road, uh, Jesus met him. And he said, Paul, why are, you, why are you persecuting me? Why are you fighting me? Why are you, why are you fighting me? Who are you, Lord? That could be our, that could be our question right now constantly going through life, a knowledge of God, constantly fighting God. At some point, you've got to ask, who are you, Lord? And with that question, has to, it demands a response. You are fill in the blank. What is he to you? To you. What is he? Because what he is to you will determine how you behave, not the other way around. You don't behave in order to figure out, well, I'm going to back into this thing. Now, that's when you back into religion, and after a while, religion gets old. I get tired of slaying lambs. I get tired of bringing pigeons to the altar. I get tired of saying, I'm, I want to be in relationship. At some point, you say, who are you, Lord? What are you to me? What am I supposed to, what, am I supposed to just go through life for 70 years with ups and downs, good choices, bad choices, a little bit of 401 when I'm done, and then they'll say some nice words over me when I'm dead? Is that, is that, is that, who are you, Lord? What are you to me? What's my relationship with you? So, as a result of his encounter on Damascus, it meant a complete transformation of his thinking. He had a completely new worldview. First, he no longer viewed people by what they have or what they don't have, or who they were or who they weren't, whether you're Jew or Gentile, or you're rich or poor. Uh, but look at this, and this is, this is, I've never quite saw this, although I've seen this. The second thing he admits to is viewing Christ through that same lens. See, I used to regard the world that way. You know, it's like, you, there's the folks that are in, the folks that are out, the folks that are saved, the folks that aren't saved. And I used to view Christ the same way. You're on the outs. You're not part of me. See, again, the point, Paul knew Jesus. He knew his teaching, but he did not see him as the way to the Father. 
See? Because if he saw him as that way, it would, he would not have been going around persecuting those of the way. So what does that have to do with uh, you uh, and me right here, right now? Uh, as I said before, the Corinthian community could be the Sacramento community. So Paul reminds them of a truth as a result or as a consequence of everything that I've said before. If anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new it's not coming, it's here. It, the new is not coming. See, that's again, we're, we're always waiting. When I take care of a few things and, you know, then, 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 uh, then when I get things straight, then, 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 I'll be, then I'll be there. I'll do this. I'll do that. And, and Paul is like saying, if is in. If is in. If is a big word. It's just two letters. Other than I, it can't get too much shorter than that. I, A, you know. Uh, if, 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 as a result of everything that I've said, if anyone is in Christ, if you're in, the old has gone, the new is here. Okay. Um, what does that mean? Well, the short, short version is the fact that the Messiah has come and the Holy Spirit indwells each and every one of us, we are already beginning to participate in that resurrected life. Uh, this is not uh, the case of, you know, as a lot of folks will do with, with thought. Well, picture in your mind uh, and, and what you want to be and, and, and imagine what that might look like. Uh, you know, again, to borrow from R. Kelly, uh, think that you can fly. You know, just, just think that you can fly. It's not about that. It's realizing that you have a spiritual bank account that you can draw from and you're no longer a pauper spiritually. That if you choose, see, I've shared the story before where uh, the gentleman, he was, he was uh, selling papers and he lived, like a, he lived like a pauper. And I probably bought papers from him decades ago, K Street Mall, lived like a pauper. But when they found him, he had hundreds of thousands of dollars just accumulated in his room. And he lived in uh, one of the hotels like Hotel Berry downtown. He had money. He didn't use the money. We have a spiritual bank account. It's up to us. It's up to you to do. You, we can't say, Flip Wilson was wrong. The devil didn't make you do it. You did it. You did it. You chose, the devil will put the temptation out there. You choose to pick the fruit. You choose to be sharp tongue. You choose to do the things that you do and not do the things that you should do. That's our choice. So, to be in Christ, to be in Christ today, I'm talking about right now at a quarter to one on January 1st, not later, means that the newness of life, that the newness, the newness of life in every form imaginable, you think about, pieces of paper were passed out, and I invite you right now to, to write down what you want different. For 2017, nobody's going to see it. I'm not only don't turn it in. You just fold it in half and put it in your pocket. But you write down 
What do you want different for 2017? See, every, the same Spirit of God that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. The same Spirit of God that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. If, in, is. If, in, is. Uh, I hate to be this blunt. The reason we don't operate in that reality is because, one, we don't believe it. That's, it's just that simple. It's, it's not complicated. Either we don't believe it, or we don't want to. We just don't want to. I'm comfortable where I'm at. I like what I do. I like where I'm at. Until life's issues get in the way. Then when things really get tough, then I do want to change. Uh, we are now dead to the influences and powers of our old ways. Um, go ahead again. I hate to keep picking on the, on the, on the gyms. But uh, we will do more. We will study which gym to join more than we will study how to further our relationship with Christ. We will put more energy into that. Now, what kind of deal they got going on over there? And what does that include? They got a pool? Does, does, that, does, that, does that include uh, somebody to help you work out? What are their hours? Are we that inquisitive about our relationship with God? Uh, seriously, are, are we that inquisitive? Are we, do, we, do we really, do we go down that deep? I, I got this. You know, see, see that's the thing, that, that, that our knowledge of Christ can and often does get in the way of our relationship with Christ. It just does. We, pres we presume too much. We know too much. We think too much. I'm done. I'm done. I, I invite you on that slip of paper to critically think about what you want different. What do you want different? And even as you hold, and I, I, I recommend you hold on to it and look at it again uh, this time next year if God spares us. How did that go for me? How, how did that go? How did that go? Um, was my list, I want a better job? Nothing wrong with a better job. Uh, do I want to be in a relationship? Nothing wrong with a good relationship. There's everything right with a good relationship. But I'm not telling you what to write on your paper. You've got to own it for yourself. But on my paper is, I just want to please you more. I want to please you more, more, more. Again, to borrow from the treadmill folks uh, at the gym, they said, don't, don't be content to just continue to do what you used to do. If you jog or run at seven miles an hour, don't stay at that level. Increase it a tenth of a mile. Push yourself a little more. Make it 7.1 miles per hour as you jog. If wherever you're at, wherever you're at, wherever you're at in your relationship with Christ, wherever you're at, okay, I pray, you know, I pray, you know, once a day, maybe five minutes. That's okay. That's okay. Try six minutes. 
starting next week. Next month, maybe push that to twice a day at six minutes. How's your devotional reading? Boy, it's not as good. And when I read, it just seems like I'm speed reading. It's, it's, it's just not what I want it to be. Uh, I, try one minute of uninterrupted time after the kids are down. After, you know, just early in the morning, before everybody's awake. It has to be intentional. If it's not, we'll be looking January 1st of 2018. We'll look a whole lot like January 1st of 2017, if not worse. Let's pray. Our Father and our God.